Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. I am excited to kind of be standing in front of actual people, and uh, I do hope that uh, we can kind of engage a little bit in this conversation uh, this morning as we kind of as we kind of make our way through this uh, this sermon. So the sermon for this morning actually comes from uh, out of Matthew five, and so if you're looking at your phone, I'll assume that you have the Bible app and you've looked up Matthew five and you were reading that, um, and you're not texting each other or comment. This has been one of those things, online church for me has been kind of fun because I get to comment and like pass notes during the sermon. And uh, that actually has been kind of fun. So, But I'm going to ask you not to do that while you're here in front of me because it's awkward. It's awkward. When Preston is back, though, let's all do that, okay? So, so Preston's away. He's uh, taking some vacation time, which is awesome for him. And I'm going to make a little bit of fun of him because he, because he's not here to defend himself uh, this morning. But the the sermon is out of Matthew five, and it is known as as essentially the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. Okay, it's called they call it the Sermon on the Mount, and there is a reason why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It was actually be because it was a sermon that took place. Us. Okay, Middle Eastern people don't know what mountains are in comparison to what Albertans know. Okay, so in their mind, some very steep hills are mountains. In our our mind, the things that are behind all this smoke, <laughs> those are some big mountains. But but in the Middle East, the mountains that are there are 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 more like are we would classify them as as hills. And in this particular context, this sermon it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It was actually a sermon on a fairly steep hill. And I've been to the place where they believe that this sermon was preached. And, and it actually it was a steep slope about maybe a kilometer, maybe a little less than a kilometer away from the Sea of Galilee. So if you can imagine these followers of Jesus have come to hear him teach. And they're on the side of a, of a pretty steep hill that actually was, is kind of a rounded hill. It's like a valley. And so it actually works a little bit more like, a, um, like an amphitheater. And then behind where Jesus would have been preaching from would have been the backdrop of a lake, the Sea of Galilee, actually. And so I was thrilled that, you know, we can see the lake now. We could not see it when we were setting up this morning. But if you could imagine yourself this morning that you have, you have traveled a long ways. You've climbed a somewhat of a steep incline and this person that that you've heard so much about begins to speak and share so for some of you who have been just watching me on the internet i'm sure you've heard so much about me right that i'm surprised you're here actually <laughs> but for real um if you imagine that these people had traveled a long ways, and and that they were 
really hoping that they were going to get a chance to hear from Jesus. And so as he begins to speak, they, I believe there was a great anticipation of what Jesus was going to talk about. Just imagine that. Maybe you anticipated coming this morning. Not so much for the sermon, but, but to be around other people. To be with folks that maybe you haven't seen in a really long time. So imagine that. Well, the beginning of Jesus' sermon, which is what we're in a sermon series on, is, is known as the Beatitudes. And it really is this like sermon, the beginning, a part of the sermon, is really about, well, how do we talk posture? And Jesus is trying to teach his listeners about posture. Not like how we stand properly or how we sit at our office chair properly, but what sort of posture, how do we face the world? How do we face our community? What do we want them to experience? And what do we experience in front of them? And, and so that's kind of what's taking place at the very beginning of this sermon. It's called the Beatitudes. I looked up what Beatitudes mean because it's not really a word that we use very often. And this is, the dictionary actually calls it this, the supreme blessedness. It's in the dictionary, so it's a real word. Supreme blessedness, and you'll find out why. Or exalted happiness, statements. And so as Kevin was reading them, right, blessed are those, and blessed are, right, all these things. It's like, imagine it this way. Supreme blessed, supremely blessed are those who. Those exalted happiness is experienced by those who. And then they kind of share. Some other words that get used in the dictionary, in the dictionary that I looked it up in, with some, some other suggested words or related words uh, that I found kind of interesting were like peace and ecstasy, felicity and bliss and serenity, and then, of course, happiness. So you imagine these are statements that are meant to communicate this to the listeners who were there. What I find is interesting as I got to get ready to talk about this and as we're going to continue to talk about over the next several weeks is that is, it is interesting to me that none of the blessed statements, blessed are those, none of the blessed statements have anything to do with the consumption of something. Okay, I want you to hear that. That's the first thing I want you to hear. None of the blessed statements that Jesus used have to do with the consumption of something. Now, in our culture, right, the culture that we live in, so much of the way that we see blessed is by, and oftentimes, what we have, right? It's so quiet and smoky here that there are no boats cruising around behind us, right? But, but I think there's been a few moments, you know, especially when it was really hot these last few weeks where I look out and watching somebody roar by in their boat and I go, wow, they're, those are blessed people. Right? And, and I think we could, we could add in, right, that, that for us in our culture, we see blessed as what we have. Right? So I could, I could add in the boat, but I think I could put in some other things, some other nice things, like maybe our house. Maybe a nice car that you're driving around. Maybe you feel blessed because you have a beautiful, healthy family. But yet, actually, in the, in the scriptures, the exalted happiness statements that Jesus uses here, they almost all are coming through how we respond to hard things in life. They are not so connected to what we consume. 
the happiness statements that Jesus teaches on in the Beatitudes are actually about how do we, we respond to challenges? How do we experience the, the extreme blessed, the supreme blessedness of God? It's not related to consumption. It's related to our response to challenges. I'm like, oh, it's kind of weird. So I want to just challenge that thinking, right? How do we respond to these life challenges? Right, so, so in many ways, and this is kind of an important part of what I kind of want to hear, is that Jesus is teaching us how. He's teaching his listeners how to have a posture towards life's challenges. What posture do we have? Nice yellow jacket flying around. Isn't it good to be out in the wild today? Yeah. Just think about that. Our posture towards life challenges is connected to extreme happiness. Right? Or even we could add in our posture towards the challenges in life is related to some of those other related words like peace and serenity, peacefulness. Hard. It's kind of a weird deal. I find these words kind of interesting, and I, and I, I, I actually think that these are words that we would agree with. Right, that as we sit here, we would agree with it. But I, but I also would say that actually, like philosophically, we would agree with it. But I think actually when we start living our lives, we kind of go, but a boat would help. Right? Just think about that for a second. Like, philosophically, theologically, we would agree that, that being blessed or being happy has to do with how we re our posture towards our response to challenges. So we would say that, but but probably in our actions, right, the the boat would help. So I just want to push that a little bit. I want you to think about that. I had somebody tell me several months ago, he said, I actually don't care what you theologically believe. I, I care about how you act and what you do. So you can have good, solid theology. If it doesn't translate into how we respond or our posture towards the world, then you probably got to ask what you, how this is working. So it's a challenging kind of a deal. All right. So philosophically, I want you to think about that a little bit. Last week, Pastor Preston talked about blessed are those who are poor in spirit. All right. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of how that first statement goes. And one of the things that I loved, absolutely loved, about how he shared was that, that ultimately, when we come empty-handed before God, we leave space for God to speak and to fill that. Right? It was a great sermon about how children are so much better at this than us adults. They know how to come empty-handed and allow God to take and fill their space. It was a great it was a great sermon. So it's like the second good thing he's done in the last 18 months. So it's really good. He was just warming up coming back here with everybody. I have to be careful because, you know, Preston's parents moved here and they're like sitting right here. Super nerve-wracking. Anyway, <laughs> no, he, he did a really great job. And, and, and Pastor Preston has often done a lot of the setting up of kind of what we teach on and how we teach and, 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 and what even... I'm going to preach on even this morning. And so in a way, I, I was teasing him because I was like, really, so for our first service back, the topic we're going to talk about 
is the next blessed statement. And you're going to see why this doesn't seem like a great one for our first time back. And so I was teasing him. And I think it's a cruel joke. But this morning, for our first service back, we're going to talk about this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And at first I said to Preston, I was like, this doesn't seem like a good one to start off, you know, being back. And, and then we, we kind of talked a little bit about, about it more. And the more we talked about it, the more I realized that actually this is a really important topic to talk about as we come back together. This isn't the kind of topic that I wanted to talk about just to a camera. And I think that this is a really, really important topic because I think we have all experienced on some level a sense of grief and a sense of loss over this past 17 months. So I want you to think a little bit about that. Right? We have all experienced that. And we are all actually in life going to experience some form of grief and loss. I don't know this first statistic for the day, but do you know that like 100% of people die? 100%. Yeah. Even, even Lazarus, who got raised from the dead, he went on and died again. It's, it's a real thing, right? This is a real reality in our life and story, right? Maybe in a less extreme way, like losing someone, we have all experienced or lost something in the last 18 months. And if we think about these blessed statements as like our posture towards challenges in life, then this topic is actually really quite important for us to think about. How are we going to see this? What does this look like? And so I want to start, start off by, by, I want you to think about this. What's your posture? Right? What is your posture? this. One of the things that I have noticed as I have studied the Gospels and I've studied the life of Jesus and, uh, is that, that people were not actually drawn to Jesus because of his mastery of the, of the book of the law. They were drawn to Jesus because his posture towards the hurting and the broken and the lost was compelling. They were not drawn to Jesus because he knew the law. They were drawn to him because his posture towards the world was a posture of open-handedness. Open Just think about that. Right? That's, that's what really drew people in. So I want you to think about this, and I, I, I'm just going to give us a second to, to just give you a second to think about how do you turn and face grief? How do you turn and face hard things? What does that look like for you? Maybe you don't. Maybe that's like one of the hardest things for you to do. But I want you to give that some thought. What emotions are connected with you to grief and loss? What are the emotions that are there? I've been learning lots about emotions. You know, like emotions are information. 
God gave you emotions so that you could actually be well informed about what is happening in your body. It's an interesting deal. I, I don't like it, but I, I think it's true. I don't like it at all, actually. But I, but I do think um, that it is true. Right? How do you handle? How do you turn and face difficult things? What does that look like? I, uh, I was reading a little bit about emotions uh, quite a bit this last year. And, and uh, one of the quotes I came across, which has been really actually quite helpful to me, is, is there are no negative emotions, but there are poor ways of dealing with them. There are no negative emotions, but there are poor ways of dealing with them. And I'm not sure if that's entirely true, but for the purposes of today, for the purposes of this topic, I, I kind of want to kind of live into that a little bit. What has brought you grief and loss this last year and half and more than half, actually? 17 months, just think about that. Right? We think about this past year, there's like been so many different ways that we have experienced emotions. Probably some days you could be actually quite proud of the way you handled the pandemic. And probably some days you've got some explaining to do. Remember that show? Lucy, you've got some explaining to do. Right? And so we got to come back together. This is kind of what's interesting. As we come back together and we start to face each other again, right? you're, now you're facing a human in front of you. It's not just somebody on Facebook anymore. It's an actual human. And so, so even as we begin to gather back together, we have to kind of learn the social rules again. And I've watched this last long time, actually, as we have gathered up things to hold against each other. You know, somebody posted something on Facebook we didn't like. Right? You got the maskers and anti-maskers and the anti-vaxxers and the vaxxers and everybody's calling each other names. And, and we add in some other socially very challenging things. Right? There's so many places where we feel maybe a sense of loss or a sense of grief. And because we haven't been able to face each other face to face, we haven't been able to work through any of these kinds of different challenges. My own personal experience with, with, around grief and loss is that, that, that these are actually unwelcomed things for me. Cops are coming. Outdoor services, man. It's crazy, right? I kind of hope they come over here. It would be kind of fun. Right? So they're here for me. It's uh, posted on the internet. <clears throat> I'm going to share with you some things that I've been learning about, about this. But, but, but in my own experience is that, is that grief and loss and some of these challenges have been things that actually have, like, interrupted my story. And so, so for me, the interruption and in the way I tried to deal with grief and loss is to push the, the interruption away, to make it go away, to find something that distracts me and to, that would be more fun to do. And I don't know if that's you. I don't know if that's how you deal with things, but, but that for me is one of the unfortunate ways in which I try to deal with 
with difficult things. I try to avoid it. Well, my experience as a pastor, though, so, so inside of Evan, I'm just being straight up with you. That's how I try to do it. But my experience as a pastor has shown me that actually if we don't address the difficult things that go on in our story, we don't get better. We don't actually heal. Right? So when we take uh, energy to circumvent things like mourning and grief and all these kind of things that I'm going to talk about, but when we do use the energy to do that, we actually are taking energy away from what God would want to do in terms of how we might be healed and how we might work through it. So just think about that a little bit. All right. We take away energy from important things and ways in which we were created to actually heal. So here, here's, a, here's a quick sequence of sentences, and I do want you to remember this. So hear this. To mourn or grieve is to remember. To mourn or grieve is to remember. To remember is to process, and to process is to grow and heal. You hear that? I'm going to say it again. To mourn or grieve is to remember. To remember is to process, and to process is to heal and or grow. And that actually is what we were meant to do. We were meant to be healed. God was all about healing people. It's actually the reason why we gather in Jesus' name, so to speak, and do church, because we want to be a people and a place of healing. It's the purpose of why Jesus came. It was to heal his creation. It wasn't to make sure everybody was doing it right. You hear me? Sometimes we get confused in the church. We're going to gather in the church so that we do it right. That actually is not why Jesus came. That's actually a misconception of why Jesus came. He did not come to make sure you were doing it right. He came to help you heal because he knew you wouldn't do it right. He knew that we were a broken place, a broken culture. I'm going to share with you some quick things that I've learned about, about loss and about grief uh, over the last, well, many, many years. But right Here's the first one. Grief and mourning, uh, in particularly in North America, are not the same thing. You hear me? Grief and mourning, in particular in North America, are not the same thing. So here's what Susan Stabil says about grief. She says this, grief is, de is defined as more significant than mourning. Grief is defined as more significant than mourning and is typically in our culture done alone and in silence. Whereas mourning is defined as the manifesting of our loss in an outward way so that others can see. How many of you want me to read that again? A few of you. Okay, I'm going to do it again. Grief is defined as more significant than mourning and is typically in our culture, North American culture, done alone and in silence. They're not saying this is good. They're just saying this is how, what it looks like. Whereas mourning is defined as manifesting your loss in an outward way in which other people will remember. Okay? So in our, in our Western culture, and I, I think this is real, in our Western culture, grief is awkward. Grief is awkward because 
we have been taught to keep the tough things private. We have been taught to keep the tough things private, and therefore we have little example of how we might grieve in healthy ways. Because we haven't actually seen it done. We don't have good examples of it, even in our lives. Right? And so, and so we, we, don't, we don't actually really know how to do it. And then, when we do experience grief around us in a community, then it's so awkward that we also don't know how to care for somebody else in grief. And so then we say stupid things. And we, we do weird things. Right? It's like, I was going to give some examples, but I think I'm going to keep them to myself this morning. But, but we don't know how to do it. We want it to go away. And so we're trying really hard to give it some kind of comfort. But we don't, it's so awkward and so challenging that we don't actually want to be very close to it. Does that make sense? And in doing so, we teach each other to keep our grief in silent secrecy. And we don't get better in, in doing that. Right? It's just so raw that we don't exactly know how to how to do it. Now, in Eastern culture, in the culture in which Matthew writes his gospel, in the culture in which Jesus lived, right? And, and remember, Matthew was writing, he was not writing to you. He was not writing the gospel thinking you were going to read it. He was writing the gospel thinking his neighbors were going to read it. And the people in his context and the people in his time were going to read it. And so, and they understood mourning very, very differently. In fact, in, in, in their culture, the, the period of mourning was, was not, it was not only expected, it was required. It was the rule. And there were all kinds of rules around how you mourn. And for how long that would be. And when that would end. And when that would begin, if you were a widow, if, if, if your father-in-law didn't give you permission to remarry, then you could be in mourning the rest of your life. And that meant you got to dress a certain way, you got to do, you got to behave a certain way, there's certain times of day you could do things. There's all kinds of rules around it, all kinds of expectations about how you would publicly mourn. In, in fact, so much so, right, that, that the mourning process for many people in, in Middle Eastern culture who were reading this, this, this became their identity. This wasn't just about a period of sadness that you get to decide when you're done with. The period of mourning was determined by, oftentimes, somebody else. It's kind of weird, right? Just think about that. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And for those who are in, in a state of mourning for the rest of their life, this must have been profoundly important to hear. Right? Now we, we take this, and, and there certainly were people who were, who were mourning and grieving the loss of important people. They were authentically mourning. However, there were also people who were who were commanded to do so, so to speak, by their culture. 
Now, Jesus knew that those who learned to outwardly and authentically show their pain would also process that with the help of the community. I'm going to say it again. Jesus knew that those who learned to outwardly and authentically show their pain would also process that with the help of the community. With the help of the community. Okay? Jesus knew then that it was actually the only way to heal. It was the only way to get better. Right? And so, and so he encouraged people, I think in our context, to grieve. actually show what was really happening in our life okay here's a statistic for you it's kind of a strange one this is a depressing one but in fact we know statistically the people who do not grieve or who who choose to suppress grief are more prone to anxiety depression and addiction fact it's a fact and i think that jesus knew that he knew that we were designed to heal he knew that we were designed to move on And what I mean by that was he knew that we weren't actually meant to just replace the thing that was lost. I'm going to shift from grieving people now to grieving things. He didn't believe that we just needed to fill something that was lost. We didn't need to do that. Right? So you think about it. Grief is love looking for a... Uh, sorry, that... Grief is love looking for a home. Grief is love looking for a home. And actually, as we look, as our love looks for a new home, it actually carves out an even greater space for, for depth and for growth and for joy and for peace and for all of these things. Okay. All right. Psychologists talk about loss in two ways. They talk about it um, and for the sake of this conversation, they talk about it this way. Ordinary loss. This is when, like, an ordinary loss is when our aged parents pass away. Okay? There's nothing ordinary about that when we're experiencing it. But we do know that that's actually supposed to be the way it is. Right? Ordinary loss is when we, when we move to a new place. Right, we get a new job. And in particular, that ordinary loss is when we like the place we used to live, <laughs> when we like the job we used to have. That's ordinary loss. Things change. People move. Different things happen. Right? You lose a pet. This can be ordinary loss. Here comes ambiguous loss. I talk about it like this. Ambiguous loss is this. When we lose somebody suddenly, when we lose a marriage, when we lose a house, when we lose a relationship, when we lose a community, even when we lose a particular ideology. Right? When we lose a particular ideology, just think about that. There's loss included in that. I know for some of you, you're in a, you're in a state of trying to ask yourself if the church is important anymore. Right? And, and, and there is a deconstruction thing that has to take place 
in order for us to think that through. There is a sense of loss as we kind of make our way through that. When we do that in the context of community, we get to say those things out loud. We get to ask the questions that we're asking. Right? You get to do that. You get to do that. So I want to give you one second here to think about this. What ambiguous loss has the pandemic created in you? What ambiguous loss have you experienced in your life or your story in the last 18 months? I'm wearing orange today. I don't think I need to tell you why. For me, I'm actually experiencing a little bit of loss because I am proud of my country. I love Canada. But boy, there has been a sense of loss. As I've started to hear and understand more of our history. I think we're meant to. We are meant to. As soon as they start unearthing the bodies of children that our country was built on, we should ask ourselves some pretty important questions, don't you think? It's, it's a sense of loss for me. There's even a little bit of embarrassment that I didn't know enough before. But I, but I do think, see, see, grief and mourning and loss, it's not just an individual thing. It can be a thing that we all experience even corporately as a country. It affects us. It forces us to ask some important questions. And Jesus knew that. He knew that we as humans were going to experience loss. He knew that because he himself experienced loss. Right? It's the reason why he came and decided to like walk among us. Because he knew that we were going to experience difficult things. And, and I want you to hear this. Our ambiguous loss, your ambiguous loss, was not meant to be done alone and in silence. It wasn't. God made us to be our authentic selves. To do life. And even to do difficult life together. It's one of the reasons why at Lake Ridge we want to do our very, very best to make sure that this place is safe. Safe for everybody to come and to experience and to demonstrate their loss and to also to receive comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted because people will know that they're mourning. It's the most logical sentence ever. If no one knows, then how is it that God will send his people to comfort you? No one will know. And so we have to work at that. And that is scary, terrifying. It's, I'm on the top of the list of people who are scared. So as I wrap up, I just want to wrap up a couple of ways here. The first is, um, and maybe this is just my compulsion to protect people, but I, but I do want to say this. Grief is awkward. Grief is awkward. And not only uh, do we at times not know how to share our grief, other people don't always know how to receive it. 
And social media has made it really hard. It's actually take, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against social media. But when we can post a really hard, sad thing that we're going through, and all somebody has to do is click the little teary-faced emoji, it, it, it doesn't teach us how to grieve well. It doesn't teach us how to come alongside of each other and comfort each other and care for each other. Right? So, so I want you to think about that. How do we do that? Right? We all actually need to work at, at, at doing our best to be gracious to both those, those who are sharing and, and those who are responding to those who are sharing. We have to, we're going to have to practice that. We need work on both sides of that. Okay. Does that make any sense? believe that Jesus hiked up on the side of the hill because he knew who was coming to listen to him. He knew that these were hurting folks that needed to hear some sense of encouragement. I think he knew that they were hurting and that they were fearful. I think that oftentimes we in the church, this is going to sound aggressive, I think oftentimes we in the church have a tendency to pick up what we believe the Bible said we should do we shouldn't do. But in doing so, in picking up what we think we should do and we should not do, we miss the heart of God. The heart that knows that we were made to help each other heal. And that requires a godly posture. Right? That, that we actually need to work on our posture towards others more than we work on the law. More than we work on the law. Doing the work of mourning or remembering, of processing, is the work that Jesus wants us to be a part of. He wants us to be a part of that. It is the real work of the healing of God that Jesus came to, to demonstrate. I believe I believe he wants us at Lakebridge to create a safe place for people to come and to experience both. I believe he wants this to be a place where people can be comforted. And he believe, I believe he wants us to be a place where we are comforting. And I believe it's going to make all of us really uncomfortable sometimes. And, and yet that actually is where I think we need to be going. The only way for us to get better at this is to practice it. It's the only way. Practice sharing what we're actually grieving and pra practice listening to those who are grieving around us. Practice. And practice is weird. It means we do it right sometimes. It means we do it wrong sometimes. And that's okay. Fair enough. Jesus meant it. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn, for they will experience comfort. They'll experience community with God. Amen? Let me pray. God, thank you so much for the gift of your presence among us today. Thank you that you are a God who sends your son down, Jesus down, to comfort us, to be present with us. God, thank you for these people who have been brought here today and those who are listening online. Thank you for the ways in which you are revealing truth to us so that we might be able to see more clearly your good works. 
be with us as we both work the courage to share our brokenness and also hear the brokenness of others. May we be the kind of place that is healing and safe for all who come and live there with us. pray these things in your name. Amen. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace this day as you go. Amen? Thank you so much for coming. I appreciate you. Uh, I have missed you. And it is, it is really good to be back together again. And hopefully, next sermon topic I preach on will be more happy. Because I like happy. Amen? Have a great week, you guys.